and some attributes of Jesus, and one of them is him being a friend, and I've got a short little story to tell you before that. Start off. Um, a priest and a rabbi get in a car accident. They hit head-on in the street, and they flip their cars over, and the windows are busted out, and steam's coming out of the, the engine compartments, and they both belly crawl out of the driver's window and stand up, and they're kind of they're looking at themselves, and they realize that they're completely unscathed. And the rabbi says, this is a sign from God that we need to be friends. And the, the priest says, I, I, I agree with you. This is amazing. We should have been killed. And so as they're, as they're surveying the damage of the cars more, um, the rabbi reaches in his car and pulls out a bottle of wine and says, this expensive bottle of wine survived the accident. This is a sign from the Lord that we should share a drink. And the priest says, my nerves are rattled. I completely agree. Newfound friendship. Let's, let's toast our friendship. And so the rabbi uncorks the bottle and hands it to the priest for the first swig. And uh, the priest drinks it and hands it back. And as sirens are coming in the distance, the, priest, uh, the rabbi holds it and then hands it back to the, the priest. And the priest says, well, what, don't you want some? So I think I'll just wait for the police to get here. <laughs> so not much of a newfound friendship. Uh, this morning we're going to look at three attributes of Jesus. We're going to look at the heart of Jesus. We're going to look at the emotions of Jesus and the friendship of Jesus. But uh, before we dive in, um, let's open with a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that um, you would calm my heart this morning, but open my heart and open our hearts to your your word this morning. I pray that, that your living word would be just that this morning, that it would be living in us, alive, life-changing. Lord, not be my words, Lord, that, that come out this morning, but, but yours. So I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our text this morning is coming out of John 11, 1 through 44, and it will not be on the wall today. It's a pretty big chunk of scripture, so I'll give you some time to get to it. It's page 8 in your pew Bible if you want to go there. Uh, but uh, John 11, 1 through 44. Uh, it sounds like a lot of verses, and it may be, but it does a great job of setting the whole scene. We're reading a story here in Scripture about Jesus and some actions he did, and so uh, I didn't want to lose anything by just giving snippets or shortening it. And so you don't get tired of hearing my voice. I've asked Tim Yandel to read them for us this morning. So go ahead, Tim. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So brother Lazarus was ill. His brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sang, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles. Light is not in him. After these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Lord, I believe what you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where, Mary, uh, where Martha had met him. When the Jews w- who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his feet, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Thank you. So I know that was a large, we're not going to go through it word by word. Um, We're going through a book called uh, Lowly and Gentle. And there are three things we're going to bring out, which I mentioned, the heart of Jesus, the emotions of Jesus, and the friendship of Jesus. Now, there are a couple different types of scripture in Bible. There's uh, prescriptive and descriptive. Okay, prescriptive would, would have direct instruction for us to do. It applies to us here today, sitting here. It would mean if you, if us reading these verses are like they're coming out of the Lord's mouth, coming directly to you. Uh, 
Uh, there's parts, I just threw out a few examples uh, where, where it says, go unto the world and make disciples, or love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Or out of our section today, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Those are verses that apply to us specifically as if Jesus is speaking to us. So in the text today, I would consider this is a mix of both, okay? We have prescriptive and descriptive, and I'm, uh, I'm going to focus mostly on the descriptive today, it, uh, the characters of Christ, um, it's the, kind of the scene, it's, it's all these things that, that kind of help us paint a, a big picture of, of who Jesus was and, and what he was like as a, as a person, his character. So I'm going to aim at the descriptive portions again, the heart of Jesus, the emotions of Jesus, and the friendship of Jesus. So we're, if we're going to walk effectively as followers of Christ, I think we have to understand some of these things or get a picture of them. Uh, so we're going to first look, Jesus, uh, and I forgot my little clicker, a lot of things to think about. Um, Jonathan Edwards, a great man of God, said, There is no love so great and wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. And he also said, uh, We are drawn to God by the heart of Jesus. So in verse 33 that we, that we heard read today, it said, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, they asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the most famous short verse, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So I want to I pull out of that. This was a compassion for other people, for the people around him that was so deep that it, that it was obvious to others. This wasn't just an emotion. This was, this was a compassion that was extremely deep in him. Jesus healed many people, right? Um, he had lines of people following him around the countryside, mostly asking him for the same thing. All these people were crippled or sick or lame or whatever, whatever the newest term is for it. These people were all in bad shape and needed Jesus to heal them. And I have to think that if I was in those same shoes, I would have gotten tired of the crowd. Not sure I could have healed the hundredth or four hundredth or thousandth person, um, but not Jesus. It would have been easy for me to slip into that. Yeah, just take a number. Uh, I'm on break right now. Um, a quote from the book we're going through says, Jesus did not simply operate in deeds of compassion, but actually felt the inner turmoil and rolling emotions of pity towards the unfortunate. Now, uh, there's a Greek word here used, and, and I know, don't shut me off, because that's what I do when somebody says there was a Greek word here used. There's a reason why somebody, the, the old saying is, well, this is all Greek to me. It's because it's difficult to understand or even pronounce. But the word here is, is uh, splanknizo which to me sounds like a delicious seafood pasta dish. Um, and that's all I could think about when I read the word. Uh, but it's, the Bible interprets it generally to mean compassion, which is easy for us to understand. But the actual meaning of it, the most in-depth meaning, means one's guts or intestines. So uh, we're not talking about just, a, oh, I feel sorry for that guy or whatever. This is, this is a deep, innermost being type feeling. And so when we're talking about Jesus having compassion, this is what we're talking about in his guts. He felt it at a gut level. And um, so then I'm, I'm looking at this going, well, what's that look like? Because Jesus was sinless, right? His heart was sinless. This may have been easier for him to do than me. I've got, I've got, some, I've got some sin tampering, tempering my... Uh, so I've got selfishness. I've got judgment. Um, I've got pride. 
I, I assume things about people. These are all things that, that, that hinder my ability to feel compassion. So uh, what's running through my mind when I see the guy, I just, I just saw another guy uh, uh, between Starbucks and um, Culver's standing in the curb with the cardboard sign held up there, right? Need help or will work. I can't read the sign because it's facing the other direction. But whatever it was, uh, is my first thought, I, I see him, he's got a, a Starbucks cup in front of him, a Culver's cup, and a, and a Culver's bag of food. So clearly somebody had gone through the drive-thru and run back some food for him. Is my first thought pity and compassion? I think you're guessing from the way I presented this that it's probably not, right? Uh, when, I, when I know there's a restaurant within a stone's throw on either side of them that are begging for help, and he'd just have to go to the share closet and get five bucks worth of clothes and take a bath and go apply, he'd probably be working tomorrow, right? But that might not be the case. I mean, there, there's, who knows what the issues are, but is, are my first thoughts pity and compassion or understanding? Um, when I see a single mom having a hard time at the Walmart checkout line and her kid's pitching a fit and she's got a stack of soda pop and Twinkies and she pays for that with a WIC card, what's my f***? Is it she's getting what she deserves or is it, uh, is it passion and pity? Is it compassion and pity for her um, to think of what her life circumstances have brought her through to bring her to this point in her life and that she may need help? When I see somebody struggling with their identity, sexual or otherwise, what's, my, what's our reaction to that? Um, is it pity and compassion? Or is it righteousness, self-righteousness and indignation? I think I can say for myself, without a shadow of a doubt, most of the time, in most circumstances, my reaction to these types of situations is not a gut-wrenching, soul-depth pity and compassion. It's more the other stuff, more the judgment and condemnation. Um, and if I'm going to be honest, uh, most of the time, my heart is not the heart of Jesus in these situations. So what's our takeaway other than be more compassionate? <laughs> um, I think for me, it's introspection. It's, it's praying and looking in my heart and, and, ask, and pleading with God to give me a molecule of his compassion. Just a molecule, because I don't have enough right now. I can tell you that. Uh, compassion is not something you can gin up. You can just try harder uh, because it's a heart thing. And we can't, if we haven't learned this at all by being in church, uh, you can't change your heart. Only Christ can't grit your teeth and become more, more uh, caring. So if we want to emulate Christ, I think we have to understand the heart of Christ. And I think compassion is a key component in that. Another thing these verses point to is that Christ was an emotional person. And this is something else I struggled with uh, as we're looking at this. So we're going to look at how Christ, uh, what his emotions were and how he dealt with those. Um, so uh, I just want to give um, a couple examples in this. And the verse 35 was the one we mentioned earlier. Jesus wept, uh, clearly an emotion. Uh, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's an important one because I think it describes the depth that he felt. We're also told Jesus wasn't angry. He had some anger occasionally, right? He, he overturned the money, table, the, chain, the money changers' tables and pitched them out of the, out of the tabernacle. So if, if you recall, do you remember how um, sin stains my, stains my compassionate heart? Well, sin, the same way I think, affects my emotions. It either... It either squashes them or 
or magnifies them or puts them in the wrong place or leads me or whatever. So uh, I, think, I, think it, uh, I think most of the time my sin amplifies my emotions. It, it, it makes them more important than they should be. They're kind of a barometer. They're kind of a, a check on where our heart's at, right? If I'm brought to tears of somebody else, if I, if I drive by that guy standing between Starbucks and Culver's and I'm brought to tears by him, or I'm moved to do something uh, for him or help him in some way that I can, then I'm probably in the right direction. If I drive by thinking, get a job, uh, I'm probably a little bit off track. So I struggle, I think, like many men, being a bit detached from my emotions. Not like the Stuber family. I think they're probably a little bit more square on with their emotions than I am. Um, I always blame the Stubers when I cry up front. Uh, but I think it's that um, false bravado, that macho, that top dog attitude that, that we take on as men, that culture has forced upon us, and that we've, I think, readily accepted, we've passed on to our kids. Uh, I think that's creeping into our spiritual lives as well. That, that's what our culture teaches us, but I don't think that's what, um, what Scripture teaches us. And going back to that gender and, and, and sexuality thing, now that that's a current battlefield for our kids... It struck me as I was preparing the sermon that, that this could be a portion of why this is a struggle. This isn't the whole thing, and this is just my opinion as well. But I think what it looks like to be masculine and what it looks like to be feminine has, been, has not been taught well by us as parents, as men and women, or as the church uh, necessarily. Um, I think what we've been building up and teaching is what the views as masculine and feminine I think we built up what it looks like to be a man on a, on a foundation of macho, you know, never cry garbage, and it's damaging our young men and women. Um, we've turned our boys into emotionless overachievers and our girls into sexual objects. Um, all beca- I think part of that is because of the way we, we uh, process our emotions, right? Uh, but I, I think then in the end, if you've got a sensitive young man or young woman who who maybe doesn't fit the world's view, uh, all of a sudden they start to question, wait, is this, you know, I'm supposed to be tough, I'm not supposed to cry, I'm not supposed to do these things, and then we go down this path. So I think it's healthy to look at our emotions and the way Jesus had used his emotions. So, uh, but praise be to God that we have a Savior that we can look to that was sinless and has, is a perfect example for us. So what what would unrestrained, compassion look like? What would sin that is not tampered by, what would compassion that's not tampered by sin look like? What would perfect pity look like? What would perfect anger look like? I'm going to ask a few questions. So what influences in your life have affected your emotional side of your life? Is it your, your mom and dad? Was it your family? Is it your job? Um... If you're in the military, I don't, I don't think crying is a, is a big, strong point in the military. I wasn't in the military, but I don't see a lot of Navy SEALs guys crying. Um, uh, but what would your, look like, your life look like if you, if you showed healthy emotion? See, I think emotions are a terrible master. We shouldn't be led around and, and, and follow our emotions. Um, but I think they're an important part of our life that I think we stuff too often. Um, they play a valuable role in our walk with Christ. If you can't show compassion and pity on somebody, that's going to show. If I'm, if I'm, uh, 
If I'm working with a family who'd lost a loved one and I can't show compassion in that meeting, what's that say about me? What, how do they view that then? So when we look at the heart of Christ uh, and the emotions of Christ, we start to get a sense of what a true friend Jesus was, right? Jesus was called um, a friend of the tax collectors. Now, there's not a, a lot of biblical reference to the word friend. I think we make a lot of assumptions. Uh, when, but w- factually, when Jesus heard Lazarus was ill, he said to the disciples, our friend Lazarus is ill. Um, and again, Jesus is called in a couple different places a friend of disciples, uh, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So with this lack of reference in the Bible to the word, actual word friend, I'm going to not draw on this, uh, but I think we need to start off with a common definition. And so my definition that we're going to be with this morning is there's, there's three parts to it. Three. Um, someone you know, they know you, and there's a bond of mutual affection. So those three components have to be there. If you just know somebody and they don't know you, they're not your friend, right? If they know you and you don't know them, not your friend. Uh, and if you know two people and they don't really care for each other, they're probably not friends. So I think that at a base level, someone you know, they know you, and there's a bond of mutual affection. So this is not a Facebook friend. I've got, I don't know, I forgot to look. Let's say I've got 500 Facebook friends. My friends, not all of them. There's a few that are. Um, but some of them I don't, I, seriously, I was going, to, I saw the other day somebody posted, I'm like, who is this guy? I'm like, oh, I'm his friend. I don't know who he is. Never met him. I don't know how he's my friend. Um, we're also not talking about the rabbi and the priest type friendship, right? They knew each other, at least for a short period of time, but there were, at some point there was not a bond of mutual affection, right? Um, I think the actions of Jesus help us paint a picture of what a true friend is or does. Uh, I think it's time spent together, right? Jesus had been with these people before. He'd been with Lazarus' family, with Mary and Martha. He had built a relationship with them. So he had relational knowledge. They knew him. He knew them. Uh, effort put forth. This isn't the definition of a friendship. This is more of a function of what happens out of a friendship, right? Uh, but if my math is correct, and if Susan Gibbs is here, she can say that it rarely is correct. There were two um, Bethany's. There was Bethany near, near uh, Jerusalem and Bethany across the Jordan. They were about 16 miles apart. Jesus is at one, so there were two Bethany's. Jesus at one, the family's at the other. The family sends word 16 miles one way to get Jesus, and then Jesus travels 16 miles back to help them. Now, I want to be clear, effort doesn't define friendship. I helped three guys in the share closet move a couch the other day. They're not my friends. I don't know who they are. I probably couldn't even point out the apartment anymore at this point. But, but in this case, there was that mutual affection. So I guess what I'm trying to relate is that, that uh, those outpourings of those kind of things come from somewhere deeper, come from the soul, come from the compa- a compassionate heart. Um, Jonathan Edwards' quote again, um, behind a slide or two, sorry. Jonathan Edwards said about Jesus, he is the holiest, meekest, most humble, and in every way the most excellent man that ever was. He is the holiest, most humble, and in every way the most excellent man that ever was. So who, who wouldn't want that for a friendship? Right? Who wouldn't want that? Jesus was a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. 
Now let's, let's process that a little bit using this Jonathan Edwards quote. If he's a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, why is he their friend? Is it because they were a, a good time to hang out with? No, probably not. I mean, they might have been, I guess, but I don't know if... I've met some IRS guys, and they're not, they're not real, you know, real exciting. They're numbers people. Um, they're, Jesus hung out with them because of that compassionate heart. So he meets them. He realizes their lost state. He has compassion on them. He spends time with them. And out of that, what comes out of the friendship? A mutual affection for one another. Out of that compassion that flowed out of Christ came a compassion, a friendship from the other people. Right? They weren't just getting together to drink craft beer together and, and talk about the sport, the sport, sporting events going on that day or whatever it was. Uh, he had a, a compassion so deep it poured out of him and it attracted others to him. That, that compassion came from his inmost being, innermost being. A soul so in tune with, with God that it moved him. Right? It moved him when he was a, a child to study at the temple, to leave his parents and go study at the temple. It moved him to gather 12 men and, and travel the countryside, teaching them, mentoring them, healing people. It moved him to feed 5,000 people who had followed him and had nothing to eat. It moved him all over the countryside to heal the sick. It moved him to flip the tables of the money changers in the temple and, 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 and clean out the temple. It moved him into intense prayer. Prayer so deep he sweat drops of blood. And finally, it moved him to a cross as a final sacrifice for our sin that we don't have to pay that penalty. Anybody that acknowledges him as king has an eternity with him. And that same heart of Jesus should move us. Should move us first towards him and then towards others. So I'm going to end with two challenges this morning. Uh, one, if sitting here today as somebody who lacks compassion for your fellow man or, or you're an emotion stuffer uh, or someone who just isn't very engaged in friendship or fellowship or relationship, I got, I got one word. Repent. Repent. Confess your sin to a perfect, compassionate God, and he'll forgive you. As so often happens as, I'm, as we're studying Scripture, I think all the ministers would attest to this, uh, as we study Scripture and we prepare for a sermon, uh, it hammers home to us the most. I had to repent as I prepared this sermon. Am I the most compassionate guy? I am not. Am I emotional? I am not. Um, I, had, I had to repent of these things. Repent of, of some of the things I've taught my kids over the years, of some of the ways I've acted towards other people. I have not applied, I have not applied Scripture correctly in my life in many cases. We need to repent. I don't think I'm alone in that. That same God, though, who healed multitudes of people, that wept at the tomb of Lazarus, that was a friend of sinners, 
will help you emulate Christ. He helped me emulate Christ. And then my second challenge is if you are uncertain of where you stand with the Lord here today, uh, or, or maybe you're fully certain of where you stand with the Lord and it isn't with him, uh, I want to challenge you this morning with verses 25 and 26 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So remember when I talked about prescriptive and descriptive verses, this one is prescriptive. This is something that, that we need to do. And I'm gonna, I know the Bible says we're not supposed to change Scripture. I'm going to change one word. Jesus said to us, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Is this driving your life? Do you believe that? That's the crux of Scripture right there. It's Jesus. We sang about it this morning, almost these very things. So if you've never come to terms with this, and the Lord's whispering in your ear today, that he's just nudging you on, um, there are folks here who would love to pray with you, love to talk with you, whatever. Um, is the elder in the office today, and he'd be happy to talk with you. Evan, I'm sure, will be in here um, praying through the sanctuary. He'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, but if you simply have questions, they would, they would love to, to answer them for you. Let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that um, that your word, Lord, would, would convict us. Lord, that it would cause change, that it would affect change in our life. Lord, convict our cold hearts, my cold heart. Lord, cold to you, cold to others. Lord, help us to be a compassionate people, using you as our measuring standard. Lord, I pray that people could, could look at us and see you. Lord, we are souls in need of a Savior. Lord, help us raise our children with love and compassion that cannot be challenged by the world around us, Lord. And I pray that compassion would point people towards you, their Savior. So, Lord, I just pray you'd be with us now. Um, Lord, and I just pray that as we leave here, that... um, that we would live holy and solely for you as compassionate people. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.